friends. Welcome to the Mini Dairy Goat Podcast, all things miniature dairy goat. Not too big, not too small, just right. I'm your host, Carrie O'Neill. Join me as I guide you through the enchanting and addicting world of miniature dairy goats. Hello, goat friends. It's Carrie back with the Mini Dairy Goat Podcast. We've got a great episode planned for you guys today. Uh, my guest is Aaliyah Elmquist from Green Gables. If y'all are into the mini Nubians, you definitely know this name. So I am proud to have her on. And I've asked her to not only come on to this episode, but also to come back for some more episodes. Because uh, as you guys are going to see here, it's going to be a wealth of knowledge. So Aaliyah, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, first of all, I'm very happy to be here. Um, and I'm glad you glad you reached out to me and glad that I can be here. Um, so we first started with goats when I was 10. My dad was um, very excited to move into the country and start homesteading. And he looked up a lot of different breeds. And we decided to start with Nigerian dwarfs since that was um, kind of the the small option back then. This was in 1997. And so we had Nigerian dwarfs first and eventually he heard somehow about, um, well, they were called dwarf Nubians at the time, or at least that's how he heard of them. So we got a full-size Nubian and had our first mini Nubians born in 99. So just two years after we started. And then we just kind of kept going with both breeds and ended up um, getting more into the mini Nubians and switching to just mini Nubians sold out of the Nigerians in 2004. So that's kind of how we, we got going. And we can talk a little bit later about all those reasons of why we decided to just do the mini Nubians. Yeah, so exciting. So uh, pretty a couple years here, you'll be on your 20, 20th anniversary for, for mini Nubians. So the, t- the topic and what we're going to really get into today, and we're going to have a series of these topics for you guys, but we're going to call it Breed Origins. And today's topic, uh, our breed is going to be the mini Nubian. Uh, but I'd like to do breed origin episodes for all of our miniature dairy goats and really talk about um, to different breeders and why they chose that particular breed. And again, today our focus is the mini Nubian. So as we've discussed in previous episodes, a mini Nubian is a a blending of Nigerian dwarf and a standard Nubian. So one of the things I thought we'd do is go over kind of the history of Nubians. We are going to have an episode on Nigerian dwarfs, but right now we'll talk about just the standard breed and the history of Nubians. So Aaliyah, what do you, do you want to share anything about uh, what you know about the history of Nubians? Oh, there's, there's a lot out there. Um, I guess the main thing is that they came here from Europe originally. Um, and we were talking about that before we got started here on exactly which country. There's a little bit of difference of opinion out there, I guess. <laughs> but um, it's, I think the main draw for them was those beautiful big ears and uh, high butter fat and all of that. So it's it's fun to see where they've come. I've seen a lot of pictures of the older 
older Nubians and seeing how much they've changed. Oh yeah, I was doing some then. it's really some amazing. Yes, doing some research here, and I'm like, oh god, you know, they showed some pictures of some bucks, and they're like, oh, whoa, that doesn't that doesn't look good by today's standards. But yeah, so, right, like um, what is that thing? Yeah, like whoa, a little uh, weak in the chine there. Um, but so the <laughs> so the they used to be called Anglo Nubians. So then they came over. It was a cross um, with the old English milch goat, and then a breed of goat called Zariba and Nubian bucks, which were imported from India, Russia, and Egypt. And so England really um, got on board and then developed the the Anglo-Nubian. And then here in the United States, they dropped the Anglo and we just call them Nubians. But like you mentioned, they have that distinctive breed characteristic, which really separates them apart from um, all the different um, more, um, I guess you would say, uh, Swiss breeds with the pointy ears. Um, so these guys, of course, have the long pendulous ears, have the um, strong Roman nose, so that convex nose. Um, let's see, what else can we talk about? They also, um, so one of the reasons they have those long ears is because they can live in those really hot climates, uh, and those ears help dissipate that heat, so that's good as well. Um, right. <laughs> So uh, you mentioned the the butter fat on these guys. They do have uh, one of the higher yielding butter fat. Um, so just kind of all in all, I think it's a, a the Nubian is a, a great breed. And of course, we're going to talk today about the mini Nubian. Um, I did uh, some other research, and it looked like they were brought over to the states back in the early 1900s. Uh, but maybe we can do a follow up episode on how the Nubians have. Um, once they joined ADGA, um, how they've progressed in some of the different herds over the years. That would be a fun episode to, to do as well. So we'll share it. So Sounds that's kind good. of a little history. Um, and so they're big, right? They're one of the bigger goats as far as the standard size. Um, a lot of the right. does, the bucks are very large. Um, and then the, uh, you know, for the show ring, it seems to be, and we talked about that in the last episode with Pat and Jeannie, but, you know, that stature, they've been building them bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and that's one of the, the keys, of course, why we're doing a miniature dairy goat podcast, because we like them. Right. You know, not too big, not too small, just right. So, um, yep, the Goldilocks goat. Yes, yes. So why? So you had the Nigerians. You got into them to the. You know, you got your Nubian doe, and then you got into the mini Nubians. Um, just you know, tell us more about you know almost twenty years of being into it. Kind of um, what you guys and have done with your herd over the years. Sure. Well, the number one reason we got goats in the first place was for their milk. Um, we had a fair amount of lactose intolerance in our family. And besides that, nobody wanted to have a big cow. <laughs> so um, that's why we got them. And we felt that the mini Nubians were a whole lot easier to milk than the Nigerian dwarfs. Um, that was probably one of the biggest reasons. Can we pause? Sure. Hold on one second. Okay. Because my baby... 
All right. Sorry about that interruption. Um, we are, of course, uh, living on our farms and uh, doing what we need to do. So there might be some kid disruption, some dog dis- disruption. So we just roll with it. Um, so we are talking <laughs> okay. about why many Nubians. Okay. Yes. So we were talking about the milk um, as the number one reason we got into goats. And switching from Nigerians to the mini Nubians because they were much easier to milk with larger teeth and um, they're easier to get on the stand than a Nubian. If a 200 pound Nubian doesn't want to get onto the stand, there's not a whole lot I can do about it. Um, but <laughs> yeah. With the mini Nubians, it's a lot easier to convince them that they should go on the stand without breaking my back. Um, and we found that they had a lot better volume of milk than the um, Nigerians giving pretty much, honestly, they were giving as much as the Nubian that we had. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of like they're giving as much as the Nubian and they're a lot smaller. They're eating less. Why have a big Nubian? Yep. So um, they don't, you know, on average, I would say they give a little less than a Nubian, um, but it kind of depends on the bloodlines. Um, We've had, I would say our average is like between four and eight pounds, depending on at what point in lactation and how old they are and all that, um, with maybe like a five pound average um, over and the for, course of the year. Yeah, for, and for our listeners, for mature door. So, yeah. So one of the things when you get into goats, you start talking about pounds of milk. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for for anyone um, wondering how many pounds make a gallon, um, it would be about eight pounds um, per gallon. Correct. Right. So the most we've ever had from one doe in a 24-hour period was 14 pounds, which is just a little bit under two gallons, which is quite crazy. Wow. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I know um, you guys milk, do a lot of milk testing in your herd. Um, we're going to have a whole other episode about that. Um, but that's one of the ways um, that you can really track the, of course, the production and how, how well you're doing there with your breeding program. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about that later, but, uh, go on, go on. I I interrupted you. I interrupted you. (laughs) No, no, that's fine. Uh, so we have, like you said, the milk testing, um, which also tells us the butter fat, which is really, really good in the mini Nubians because the Nigerians have even higher butter fat than the standard Nubians. So when you combine the two breeds, you get really good butter fat. Yep. So I'd say, Probably average, we have four and a half to five percent butter fat. Um, some are a lot higher, some are lower. So just over the herd, it's about that. Um, I think the highest butter fat we had was like nine point seven or something towards the end of lactation. So it's yeah, fun to. That's to what I was going to ask. Now I was going to say. Now I know I'm. I'm thinking this is right, but the uh, the further la- lactation, further along you are, the higher the butter fat usually is. Yeah, that's yep. generally true. Um, I kind of think of it as they have the same amount of fat that they produce in their milk each day. And it just, the water content goes down yeah. over yeah. the year. Yeah. You're usually, you know, getting less milk towards the end mm-hmm. of the year, mm-hmm. but it's a lot more concentrated. Mm-hmm. So, but it makes some of the most incredible cheese. So that's one thing we really enjoy with them is. And you guys, really, ha- really you guys uh, hand milk, don't you? Yes, we do. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 
So how many, um, I'm sorry, I'm just all curious. And so hope the, <laughs> hopefully, um, but how many does do you guys typically milk um, on average? We usually freshen about 20 to 22 each year. Um, okay. Right now we're down to 15 milking. And then we have 22 bred for spring. So, well, it will be 22 once we're done with breeding. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So- so with the Nigerians, you guys were trying to um, hand hand milk those. And so then, of course, when you switched over to the mini Nubians, is teat size something that you focus on or you've just got a good, that's good in your lines, no matter, you know. from Well, the teat size was definitely a huge difference between the Nigerians and the mini Nubians that we had. Um, I mean, I know with each breed, it greatly depends on breeding and selection, um, but generally a Nubian is going to have bigger teats than a Nigerian just based on body size, you know, and so the, the mini Nubians had a lot better, easier teats, um, but we do purposely select for orifice size so that the milk mm-hmm. flows nice and easy, as well as teat size that are easy for hand milking. Mm-hmm. So you guys obviously um, drink a lot of the milk, um, and then you're making cheese. Are y'all doing anything else fun with the milk at your farm? Um, we raise a couple calves. Sometimes we'll have some hogs, of course, feeding all the baby goats until they're sold or weaned. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have a large family, so we use a lot of milk. And it's so tasty that... Uh, everyone who I'm sure you guys all the time. I mean, and I think anyone who raises goats and any of the listeners, you know, people, Oh, like your, you know, non goat friends are like, Oh, goat milk. That's gross. You know, they just have some preconceived notion of it. And then it's like, Oh no, you're coming right now. You're like, you're going to try some, you know, and you pour them a glass <laughs> and they're like, Oh my gosh, that's really good. Um, so yes, we have won over so many people, even people who've had goat's milk from a farm before. Um, they try our milk and they're just in awe. They're like, this is so good. How can (laughs) it doesn't taste that much different than, you know, fresh cow milk. And, um, I personally think it's better, but (laughs) well, you're, you know, you're up there in Wisconsin and, you know, I kind of think of that as, you know, dairy capital of America. I don't know if that's the title of the state or not, but I mean, it seems like you would have a lot more, um, I don't know, people just more knowledgeable about dairy stuff. And so it's interesting mm-hmm. that you, you run yeah, into the same have, thing. Oh, we do have a lot of dairy farms. We used to have a lot, lot, lot more. But the small dairy farms have pretty much all been squished out. There aren't too many too many left. I think our township used to have like 20 or 30 farm dairy farms in our, in our little township. And now we have zero. Oh, wow. So that's really a really sad thing to watch but there are still some some smaller smaller farms around mm-hmm. um, and we have a lot of Amish around us too so there are a lot of of Amish dairy farms mm-hmm. which are definitely smaller than <laughs> than the big big ones we also do have one dairy farm just down the road that has the whole you know um robot mach- robot milking machines and everything's automated and is that a cow dairy or a goat dairy? Yeah, a cow dairy. Yeah. Yep. Although um, goat dairies have really picked up in the state as well because the goat milk market is a lot um, higher, I guess. So a lot of uh, cattle farmers just jumped right into goat farming because 
it was more profitable, at least yeah, for a while. Think, I'm not sure what yeah. it looks like now, but <laughs> I would think it would be less of like a commodity. Cause I mean, like when people can't drink cow milk, um, me and myself mm-hmm. included. Yeah. Know. Most of it is for cheese making here yeah. though. Um, Interesting. it's mostly going besides that, the goat milk in the store is so nasty. Oh, it's gross. <laughs> it is so gross. <laughs> <laughs> it's like if you're thinking about getting a goat and you want to try goat milk, don't try it from no. the store <laughs> because you will never get a goat. Yeah, you're like, nope, never um, doing it. Well, back right, to the mini exactly. nutrients. So you're you're milking them. So what else is it uh, that you guys enjoy about the mini Nubians? Well, we mentioned a little bit about size. Um, that's definitely a big factor. Um, you know, those big Nubian does can and especially the bucks, but even just looking at does can easily be 200 pounds um, and get quite tall. And so with a mini Nubian, they're kind of, I mean, again, it varies a bit, but a hundred, around a hundred pounds, maybe a little more if you have a heavier animal. Um, but that's a lot easier to move, um, a lot easier to trim hooves. Um, pretty much anything where you have to restrain them for something is a lot easier with them not being so large and then of course they're not eating as much either mm-hmm. um but we have so for our goats generally we have our mini nubian does between 24 and a half and 26 and a half inches mm-hmm. um, and that's measured to the withers or the the top of the shoulder um and the bucks generally 28 to 29 inches yep. what the average is here um and yeah, one of the things I was thinking about too is, you know, I don't mind having my little children playing with, with the goats. I don't have to worry about them, you know, getting hurt. Um, and they're, that kind of leads into the personality too. But, and I could, you know, continue to trim the hooves even on my bucks when I was, you know, nine months pregnant. <laughs> so mm-hmm. they're just a lot easier to handle. But that also goes into my third point in it is the personality. They just have, the most incredible personalities that I've ever seen. They're sweet, they're gentle, super friendly and loving. Um, they're just, I don't know, really, really fun goats to, to be around. Um, and then at one point that is kind of, it's, <laughs> it's kind of a funny point, but they're Nigerian dwarfs are extremely smart, like too smart. They mm-hmm. can get out of anything. They are really just, I don't know, too intelligent, I guess. (laughs) Um, And Nubians, one of the kind of stereotypes around the Nubian, standard Nubians is, you know, quote unquote, dumb Nubian, um, because they're just kind of not as bright sometimes. Mm -hmm. And the mini Nubians are, again, like the Goldilocks goats, not too smart, not too dumb. (laughs) (laughs) I have a, a story from years ago when we had all three breeds. And the Nigerian dwarfs would figure out how to open the gate and let everybody out. And the mini Nubians would be, oh, good, the gate's open, and they'd walk out. And the Nubian would stand right next to the gate, looking through the fence, just wailing, Mo, Mo, <laughs> let me out. That's <laughs> just like, that is so typical of the three breeds, at least in my experience. It was pretty funny. Okay, so I have to ask you another silly question. So I only have 10 does, but I can recognize all of their voices. So you have a mm. lar- larger herd. Can you recognize their voices? Some of them. A lot of them don't talk enough that I necessarily notice them. I have 
a few that definitely it's like, oh, that sounds like Cami or that has to be Eclipse, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, like for the most part, they don't call that much unless it's milking time or some. I have a few that are loud when they're in heat. Um, but I have one Eclipse who she's so funny. Her mat is so quiet and soft. It's just sometimes she'll open her mouth and no sound will come out. <laughs> it's so yeah. funny. Otherwise, it's just kind of this soft little. I call that. Okay. I have I have two of them. They kind of mm-hmm. hum. They kind of hum. It's like, yeah. And then like you know like okay like they're kind of a little bit deeper pitched. Um. So but yeah definitely agree with you on the personalities. Um. So I do have two standard Nubians and they are sweet. But yeah sometimes it's just like oh my gosh like if you would just come right over here you could get in this perfectly empty feeder where no one's even here. But then they just like cram right. together and like okay <laughs> there's like five open feeders you could eat at right here. Um. So that's pretty funny. Well one of the yeah. things that uh, you know you are one of the uh, you know one of the renowned many Nubian breeders in the country. And so I just wanted to kind of pick your brain. Um, you have, I guess, I guess, let me ask. So in your herd right now, do you have goats that are not homebred that you brought in? I currently only have one doe and one buck that are not. Okay. Okay. So that's kind of the, so you're, you know, as far as breeding goes, and the more I get into this, the more I learn, but you know, these, um, you know, the big standard, you know, Agda show herds and different things. I mean, they've been working on their herds for years and years and years, and they'll, they'll very rarely bring in, you know, an outside buck, maybe to do some outcrossing Mm -hmm. or things like that. Um, But a lot of us just starting, you know, you're just kind of like, you know, you don't, you don't know what you don't know. And you get, get a goat from here, get a goat from here, get a goat from here. Um, but you guys are to the point almost 20 years in to where you definitely have a um, type, I guess you could say, that you're breeding towards. So what mm-hmm. is it that is important to you when you're making those breeding decisions? Um, what are your priorities, I guess, if that makes sense? Um, well, I take it on an individual basis. So I write down all of the strengths and weaknesses of each doe and of each buck. Um, and then I look at you know each doe and say which traits do I feel she needs improvement in and then um, choose the buck that best you know meets those characteristics um, so whether it's I feel like she's a little weak weak over the top line or maybe she has udder um, attachments or she needs a more extended fore udder or you know whatever trait or traits I'm looking for I look for the buck that's most likely to hopefully <laughs> improve mm-hmm. those areas. Um, so those are, it kind of just depends on, on the individual animal for me. So, so I want the whole package. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I want the perfect. I want it perfect. Um, so without, exactly. you know, in the miniature dairy goats, we do not have a, um, I guess you could say performance program or assessment program that is similar mm-hmm. to the Agda linear appraisal program. Um, and so what is it, um, do you keep track of that in your system? Like, okay, I use that buck on that doe and it did improve in the, uh, other, the, the doelings or whatever. Um, do, are you tracking Somewhat, that? You, um, just... I usually try to make notes if, if it was, you know, obvious some, some of the things, unfortunately, 
I can't keep track of because I can't keep all the kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I really appreciate the, the buyers that keep in touch with me and send me other pictures and, um, you know, tell me when their, their goats from us earned their star, or I've had a number of bucks that um, have earned their plus, which is really exciting because they have to have so many da- daughters mm-hmm. that have earned their star. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it helps me a lot when, when buyers give me feedback because, you know, I can only keep, well, I try to limit myself to four in a year, but that hasn't happened for a while. It's usually been like five or six. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it's, it's hard. Um but that is one of the hard things because in order to prove a buck out and know what he's doing, you have to keep enough daughters to see, you know, what he's producing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's hard to do unless you have unlimited time and energy and money. So <laughs> I don't think any of us have that. No, it's definitely not a money-making endeavor for most of us. So, um, well, that's really interesting because, I mean, I know you're one of the few herds that kind of almost is to that point where, you know, your, your whole herd is pretty much, almost, you know, green gables. And so you're to the point to where you can really, uh, you know, make those decisions and, um, interesting. So it is I, fun though. I love watching all the, all the new breeders and all of the, um, new lines that are starting, but it is really fun when I'll see a goat advertised for sale and I'm like, Oh, I got to look at that pedigree that has to go back to some of ours. Cause it, it looks like a green gables goat. And then I look and sure enough, it has either a a parent or a grandparent that's from here. So it's fun to see that, that stamp carrying through. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing is, you know, anytime anyone asks, you know, Hey, I'm, you know, what what are the best herd? You know, there's, you know, your, your name comes up and then several other herds that are really trying to improve. But I think it's hard for new breeders or not new breeders, but just new, new owners into the mini Nubian breed um, to really Mm -hmm get that information as far as, um, you know, when you're new to goats, it's a very, very steep learning curve. And we chatted before we got started, Mm -hmm. but one of my future episode, uh, is, um, ideas is just resources. Like, where do you go? How do you, how do you learn all this stuff? Um, and Mm -hmm. so I think that'll be good for new goat owners because it is more important than just, a flashy spotted goat, you know, there's, you know, you need right. to have, you need well, to have and Sometimes that. it takes experience too, because, yep. you know, you can do all the book reading you want, but until you actually <laughs> do it and learn by trying to milk a super short teated goat that gives you cramps and takes you an hour to milk her, you know, <laughs> that's when you realize, okay, so this actually is really important. I see why. Yeah, or like 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 but, you said, orifice size. You're just like you know, yeah. I have a have a couple of my goats. It's like you know, just you know, you could you know poke someone's eye out with the stream you're getting from it. It's so strong. <laughs> um, but then the other ones, you're just like, oh, okay, we need to improve on this. Uh, so. mm-hmm. Well, yep, I have th- one right now that has teats that are shorter than I like, but her orifice sizes are orifice size is really good, and so it's not that hard to milk her, even though her teats are a little shorter than ideal. Um, I have a friend who had Sonnens and I helped him milk for a while and he had this one doe whose teats were so big, but the orifices were so small. It would take two hands around the teat squeezing this, like all my might to get the milk out. And I was like, how do you do this? (laughs) This is, this is just painful. 
So that's definitely a priority for me. That and feet and legs. I don't like to see a goat walking down on their pasterns. It just, it makes me hurt looking at it, you know? Like, yeah. Ouch. You, get, you gotta have strong feet and legs for that goat to hold up over time. Well, let's, mm -hmm. um, so we've kind of hit a little on why many Nubians we've chatted about, you know, I'm a many Nubian owner as well. So we've talked about how, why they're so great, why we love them so much. Um, share with us like when you were getting in so you um did start you know you had your nubian doe and your nigerian dwarf and you kind of started your own lines there did you early on bring any um outside uh, goats from other herds or um, just tell us a little bit about kind of that i guess kind of this part two to the history of um, mm -hmm. many nubians and how and then you know maybe walk us down that road to you know, kind of present day and the popularity and just kind of your thoughts on that. I think we'd love to hear that. Yeah. So we got our first mini Nubian buck. Um, we bought it <laughs> actually kind of a funny story because this was before I was driving. I was probably maybe 14 at the time, something like that. I'm not exactly sure on the dates here, but um, we, I had seen a buck advertised across the across the state like halfway across the state and um my mom had a lot of health issues so she didn't wouldn't have been able to take me and my dad was too busy and so I we had some friends who raised goats and I asked them about if they would take me over to get this buck <laughs> and they agreed and so we got in their van and we drove halfway across the state and um met the family that owned him and um then went and looked at the buck and I was like oh boy it was I think probably September and <laughs> for some reason I had been thinking it was a buckling it was an adult buck <laughs> so, so we had a very fun three-hour ride home <laughs> buck in the in the van with us I felt so bad I'm glad they were goat people and didn't mind because <laughs> not too many people would and that it was an older van too <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was it was quite the ride um but anyway so that's um Hershey who had originally come um from Pat Fountain's herd um I think he if I remember correctly he had gone from her out to a herd in California and then to this herd in um Wisconsin and then then I got him <laughs> so I had had a little bit of of travel so he kind of we had our first second generation kids from him um and I guess that was maybe around 2003, something like that. Okay. Um, and then I had found um, Danette Hackman on and her herd Echo Hills and was drooling over her goats for quite a few years, um, talking with her a bit and kind of trying to figure out how it was a dream of mine to have goats from her, you know, and I don't know how many years I dreamt about that, but. Eventually, we did um, fly a buck and doe pair in from her, and that that really um, made a big difference in our herd. Uh, so those those two, that was Jasper and Molly. We still have tons of their blood in our herd. Mm -hmm. um, and before them, we had um, purchased a goat from another Wisconsin farm called um, Charlie Brown. It's not the Echo Hills one they have a charlie brown also but <laughs> um, this was country dreams charlie brown and he he was a blonde buck that 
did a lot of good things in our herd. And I ended up going back when his um, breeder was selling out and I bought his aunt and his two of his sisters and I remember what else, <laughs> a bunch from him. So we have a lot of that, um, that made a big impact in our herd also. So I think kind of each time that I, I branched out and brought in new blood, it, it was a really good thing that kind of steered the direction of our herd. Um, you know, when we were just starting, we didn't know, I didn't know anything about confirmation. My dad knew maybe a little bit, but it was more just, you know, homestead milker kind of a thing. And as we went along, we learned more and um, I kind of had a, a natural eye for what I liked, um, you know, looking at Danette's herd and some of the other other standard goat breeders herds it kind of and going to a fair too i would help at a um at the northern wisconsin state fair every year with their show and so i would watch um the standard goats of course being being judged and learned a lot um from doing that and being the show secretary and whatever else they had me do Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, i mostly preferred when i could go along and help show other people's goats that was fun but um, that taught me a lot. So it, it was, it was definitely a lot slower pro- process than I think a lot of people getting into it today have more information at their fingertips and more learning ability, learning opportunities, I guess I would say, than when we first started, it was kind of feeling our way along. <laughs> so, but yeah, now we've got the the two registries or uh, the the bigger two registries that are doing a lot with the confirmation clinics and virtual shows, and I think that's uh, easy for new uh, goat owners to participate in and to learn more mm-hmm. about, about their goats that they have. So that's so. Tell us a little bit. I mean, obviously, you've you've been you know you've been in it, and I mean I've been in it since I guess twenty like six six years, so not not that long. But, um, you know, I think all the story goes, you know, I can't drink cow's milk. Um, I live in the country. I want to get some goats. And then, you know, you start looking. And for me, at least, it was like, oh, mini Nubian. That sounds cool. You know, kind of like you're saying, Mm -hmm. the Goldilocks of goats. And so Mm -hmm. um, when did you, or historically, I think, when did you see the popularity really take off and really see your farm kind of bloom into one of the premier breeders? Yeah, well, we noticed pretty much right away whenever we were selling Nigerian kids, everybody that came to the farm would see the mini Nubian kids and be like, oh, I want one of those, you know, <laughs> instead of the Nigerians. Um, and that was one of the things that kind of pushed us towards choosing them um, over the Nigerians because even our buyers liked them better, um, which at that point we didn't have any to sell. <laughs> they always wanted the ones we were keeping. So, that kind of helped us go that way. And then probably, I think what year that would have been. Um, probably around maybe 2000, probably to around 2006 or four, somewhere in there. We had more, um, no, it's probably later than that. But anyhow, whenever it was. I can't remember the exact year, but we had, we were building um, a house maybe an hour from where we lived. And the place that we started our farm, the house had green gables. And so that's you know, how we got the, the farm name. 
So when we were moving, we were like, well, should we keep the name Green Gables since we're not going to have Green Gables at our new place? That's kind of weird. Um, <laughs> but I was just, it was just starting to be that people would say, oh, I have a Green Gables goat. And so I'm like, well, I think we'll stick with the name because that's getting getting to be known. Um, and so we kind of just stuck with that. And now that's. So did you paint anything? We still did you are. paint your gables green at the new house? No. No. <laughs> we have a hip roof on the farm now. <laughs> okay. So although it is a green roof, so maybe okay. that counts. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> and we have a green hoop barn, so there's there's plenty of green. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think when did I mean, I know just being in it for the short time, I'm just the whole pandemic. I think I really saw a bloom and, you know, more and more people wanting to purchase goats and wanting to get on the wait list. Um, did you see that as well in the last couple of years? Oh, I, I could have sold my whole herd twice. I think Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had so many people, people wanting milkers, people wanting kids, everything. And, um, I was like, well, I'm, don't want to sell everybody but <laughs> it would have been pretty easy to do I think yeah. but it does you know it really pushed people to kind of think about where they're going to get their milk from if they can't get it from the grocery store um, same thing with chickens and eggs and all of that so mm -hmm. I do think that kind of gave people especially people who've been thinking about maybe doing something kind of gave them a push to say "Ooh, I need to if I want to do this I got to do it <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm hoping that through just, you know, educational things not, uh, like the podcast that we're doing right now, that we'll be able to prevent, I guess, kind of like that burnout, because I think there's a number that's thrown around, yes. like most goat people stay in it for like three yep. to five years, and then they realize, yep. well, oh gosh, they have to be fed every day, twice a yes. day, milked twice yep. a day, you know, yep. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to get chore yep. help and things like that. And so, um, right. You know, we wanna... Well, I've helped a lot of new breeders um, over the years, and I've seen, you know, a lot that only lasted for a couple of years, um, and a lot that continued on, but one thing that I always tell people is to start small, you know, mm -hmm. don't get 12 goats your first year, because mm -hmm. um, you need to start with, you know, maybe one or two or three kidding in a year at the most, don't go bigger than that, because you need to, you know, get used to it understand how things work and when you have you have some sort of health thing with your herd you have you know three or four maybe five goats to treat but if you have something that goes through your herd and you're trying to treat 20 goats you're going to get burned out really fast yep. um, and so just kind of those learning curves because we we all make mistakes and when we're starting we make more mistakes <laughs> so it's it's easier to to learn with fewer than more um, so I definitely encourage people to start small and, you know, see if it's something that they like before they buy a whole big herd. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, definitely some good advice because I've seen buyers, you know, I think most of uh, my friends, they, they did start small, but then you kind of, you know, you're the same the same boat you're in you're like okay oh i want to keep that doling oh i need to keep that one to see how that <laughs> looks like and then you're like okay i can i can't do you know you have to you kind of be like okay this is my yeah. number you know this is it so yeah well, i think that is one really hard thing about breeding goats rather than just 
keeping goats for milk where you, you know, you sell the kids every year or you send them to the butcher or whatever your practice is. Um, if you're breeding towards a goal and, you know, you have to keep kids in order to make progress, <laughs> then that means you usually have to let some of your older does go. And for me, that is the hardest is letting yes. the milkers go. Yes. You know, I mean, they were the best of that year's kid crop that you kept. And then you, they were good enough for their first freshening to stay with you. And you know, I kind of, the, the more you go, the harder it is to sell. Um, and then, you know, you have a bond with them more than, than kids than you do with a, a yeah, little I, kid. I, at I least just, for me. Um, I just parted it's with hard. one of one, my first goat, my first baby, then my first doling. And she was actually a, a green out of, out of one of yours, um, out of a uh, dash, I think it was Dash of Freedom. I think you, do you have uh -huh. him? I'm not sure if you have him back or how old he is now, but um, uh, her name was Pixie. And I swear that goat could scream my name, like, Carrie! But she could speak. Um, but I was just, I, I had kept some things out of her and I was just, okay, like I can't, like I needed, I wanted to bring in these other Nubians and I'm just like, okay, I, I have to. I have to part with her and I found this lovely, lovely farm um, and they're taking great care of her, but it's just, it's hard um, when, it because, is. <laughs> because like you said, the personalities, you know, it's really, you kind of have to, I don't know, you have yeah. to put, you have to put on that lifestyle, you know, I need to make these tough decisions, not, but they all have such personalities. It's, it's, it's hard. So. Right. Yep. That's why it is nice when we find such really good homes for them and not have to you know, wonder about where they're going to be. Where they but there up. are, I have had so many just wonderful people that I've met through the goats. And some of them are my best friends today, you know, that I never would have met if it weren't for the goats. So. Yep. So we talked a little bit about kind of the present state of the mini Nubians. What, um, share with us, uh, what do you think kind of what, what does the future hold? for many Nubians or where, where would you like to see the future go with the, all the many Nubians that are across the country? Well, I see kind of two things. I think we're going to continue to see, um, well, I think we'll always have the people that are, you know, more of a, I don't know, pet minded breeders, you know, mm -hmm. that are in it because of those wonderful personalities and the size that's fun and all that, but they have no interest in milking. That's not what they're in it for. Um, they like the amazing colors that they can come in and the eye color and all of that. That's so fun about these goats. So I see that there are people that do it more, more of a pet style breeding. Um, I think we'll always have, have those, um, breeders and then there's also people that are in it for milk for their family or showing or you know just trying to improve the breed you know as a whole um and that's been kind of more you know what my connections have been on that side of it although I do have people that buy specialty weathers for for pets um mm -hmm. but I like I'm really excited to see how many people are milk testing just this last year the numbers of people that are on milk test has just skyrocketed. And I'm just so excited to see that because for the longest time, it was like, I think I was one of like five breeders that was milk testing. You know, it's like kind of hard to collect data when you only have five herds that yeah. are doing it. Yeah. Um, so it's really exciting to me to see people getting into milk testing, that there are more shows um, 
the virtual show has just exploded with how many people are showing their goats in that. Um, and, you know, I'm hopeful that someday we'll have something similar to Adga's um, LA program, their linear appraisal. That would be really exciting. Um, it's really complicated. I worked on the um, committee for that for a while with MDGA, but it was, it is very it's not an easy task, let's put it that way. So, and getting, you know, everybody on the same page is always a interesting challenge as well. Um, but it's, I think there's a lot of, a lot of neat potential. And I'm, one other thing I'm really excited to see is a lot of new blood being brought in with mm -hmm. people, you know, using high quality Nubians and high quality Nigerians um, to bring in new bloodlines into the into the breed because you know we can't just stick with the handful that got started 20 years ago <laughs> yeah that's kind of so. not not here to just talk about my herd or anything but that's i see a lot of people doing it they might have some like i've got a couple goats that are sixth and seventh generation that were from kind of my starter goats and then i really like the nubians and so I've been mm -hmm. trying to bring in some fresh Nubian blood and kind of blending that back. But I mm -hmm. am not a big fan of Nigerian. So I don't mm -hmm. have any Nigerian bucks. I don't. Um, so that's so I'm just kind of playing with those um, experimental generations with those higher percentage of Nubian. Um, so that's, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's it's fun to, to yeah. have, see how those cross with kind of maybe a fourth or fifth you know a generation mini nubian mm -hmm. that's got you know your bloodline you know it's got bloodlines from a lot of different folks but it's interesting right see. well and that's the thing sometimes people um are kind of surprised to find out that after having mini nubians for 22 years i'm only i only have a couple of purebreds in my herd you know and i still have first generations and second generations and all of that. And I'm like, well, that's because that doesn't matter that much to me. It matters about the quality, the milk production, the ease of milking, the hardiness. Um, you know, I want a goat that I don't have to be out there worming every couple of weeks. <laughs> you know? um, I don't want goats that I have to trim their hooves every three weeks or they can't walk. You know, I want good, strong healthy, hardy animals that have correct confirmation that give me lots of milk for very little input. And so I, you know, while I, while I obviously will, the generations happen eventually, I don't look at that when I'm making my breeding choices. I choose, like I said earlier about which traits I want to improve on the goat. And sometimes that makes the kids be sixth generation. Sometimes I'll breed my fifth generation doe back to a second generation buck because he's the right match for her. Mm -hmm. So it's just, kind of a, a fun thing to, to and I see think, how and I think that's the learning curve and I've, I'm going to keep mentioning this in every single podcast because that's the, <laughs> the thing with generations and I'm, I, I told this story last time but when I was first like oh many Nubians that's cool you know you're like oh gener what are these generations oh okay well there's purebred well purebred that must be the best and that like when right. you're when you're when you don't know what you don't know that kind of makes sense right, right? and so mm -hmm. then that's kind of so we'll, we'll keep repeating it folks until you just get if you yep. get tired of hearing it just send me a message and tell us to stop <laughs> but um it's really you know quality over that quantitative generation yep. number well and usually when i have a buyer that contacts me and they want to put a deposit down on a kid and they say they want you know, X, Y, Z generation, I usually will ask them, you know, um, 
what it is about that generation that they're looking for or why it is that they want a specific generation. And, you know, usually people are asking me for a sixth or seventh or whatever generation, but sometimes it's a first generation or second generation. And so I just want them to tell me get talking, you know, why mm-hmm. they want that. And um, then I can help them know if that's really actually, because a lot of times there's misconceptions about it. There's, I want a purebred because they have better breed character. And I'm like, or sixth generation, I should say, because they have better breed character. I'm like, well, that's not actually true. I mean, some do, some don't. (laughs) So uh, I remember when I went to pick up um, some of the, well, Charlie Brown's relatives that I got. um, I went to visit another mini Nubian farm that was down there. And they had like, oh boy, I don't know, probably 30, 40 goats. And the all mini Nubians, and she was so excited and happy to show me her uh, sixth generation and seventh generation goats. And I mean, this was a long time ago. I didn't even know they had that many when uh, that was probably maybe 18 years ago. Wow. And I was kind of surprised, but I was also appalled because they had just the most horrific top lines and udders that were like swinging in the breeze. Yeah. No <laughs> just, attachment. Like, yeah. oh my. Okay, I don't that that was a a good wake up call for me. That generation meant nothing. <laughs> you know, it's like you can have you can have a amazing goat that's a purebred, or you can have a goat that's not so great that's a purebred, and the number on that registration doesn't really indicate quality. Is yeah. I guess the the main yeah. thing there. But and I had a you good can have take- good quality in any generation. Yeah. I had a good takeaway from the uh, TMGR podcast with Amy Parker. She was talking about, you know, really the percentages. And when you talk about percentages, really her point was the only percentage once you start blending that you truly know is that for if you do the Nigerian buck to a Nubian doe, then you know it's 50%, 50-50. But after that, you don't really know how those genes are expressed. So we can put that percentage on the registration certificate, but it might not totally mean, uh, you know, that, you know, right. Depending on what gene they got from, which gene they got from each parent. (laughs) Yes. So that, you know, and that's, um, that was interesting um, because I'd never really thought of it that way. Um, So. Which would explain why sometimes you get buck bucks that are higher generation that are huge yeah <laughs> like I know some people that came to visit our farm from the west coast and they were just amazed at the size of our bucks they're like they're so little I mean I don't think they're so little but compared to the bucks they were used to seeing they were so little <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it was fun like it definitely genetics are a fun thing to to learn about and experiment with that's a good podcast topic. We could talk about genetics and how they're expressed. And there's a lot of good information on, um, I actually took a breeding course for dogs and AKC program mm. that had a whole genetics, um, course it's free online. So we'll have that maybe in the resources uh, episode, uh, if you guys want to listen to that. Um, it has been just a pleasure talking to you today. I guess let's just open it up for any last minute comments or funny story or anything you want to share? Sure. Um, I guess I'll end with some advice. (laughs) Um, I would encourage people to ask lots of questions. Um, 
And if you do have the opportunity to go to a show, whether that's a mini show or a standard show, um, go watch and listen and learn. Um, seeing goats hands-on and getting your hands on some of those goats can teach you a lot, a lot, and a lot more than just looking at pictures. Um, pictures are great, but seeing them in person on the move and touching goats, um, there are things you can't see in a picture very well, um, like skin texture and, and um, the bones and all of that that are a lot harder to see than to feel um, that. And if you can find a, an Edgar breeder that's having a linear appraisal session that they will let you attend and just watch, you can learn so, 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 so much from those. Um, so that's those two things, or I guess that's three things, um, are really good learning tools. I'm excited. So I don't think I've told listeners this, but I'm going to be attending the AGDA convention in Tucson and I'm actually auditing the linear appraisal course. It's an all day course. Very nice. I did that. When was that? A few years ago, four years ago, I guess I did that. And it was, I learned a lot. It was very helpful. Um, I would love to do it again a bunch of times. (laughs) Well, I think it's going to, I think convention is going to be in, um, Tulsa, Oklahoma, which would be like, I guess, kind of south. I don't know how far south that would be from you. Um, mm-hmm. That one, that one's going to be pretty close. Uh, this one, this one here in Tucson will take me about, oh, I think it's going to be, it'll be a two day trip to get there. We're going to try to make it back in, in one day, uh, but definitely 12, 13 hours. So, but within driving um, distance. Yeah. So us goat folks, like <laughs> we like to drive. We don't like to fly anywhere. So. <laughs> right. Anything's within driving distance, as long as you don't have to go across the ocean, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. You can always get there. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for all the sage wisdom and just sharing uh, your history and your experience and um, just the advice. And hopefully um, all of our listeners will really um, enjoy this episode. Um, tell us, Aaliyah, where can we find more information about you and your farm? Do you have a Facebook page or a website? Um, our website is greengablesmininubians.com. That's where you can see all of our goats. I have a lot of articles posted on there, um, information on how to breed mini Nubians and what all the numbers about percentages and generations and all that, what it's talking about. So there's a lot of a lot of information on there too if you look under goat keeping articles so yes. lots of lots of things to poke around and i have pretty much you go to our reference does and bucks pages it goes back to the beginning of our herd so you can kind of have fun seeing the progression through there <laughs> um of our herd so and it, it is an awesome website so if you need to design your own website look at look at Aaliyah's website and mimic it because it has so much information on it about each of the goats so really helpful in doing research oh. and pedigree research since uh so so many of our many nubians go back to your wonderful herd so we we appreciate you breeding quality goats and um building better goats and promoting the goat all of the goat things that you do we appreciate <laughs> well Thank you for having me on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. All right. Well, thanks, goat friends. Uh, I'll be at the AGDA convention next week, so we'll probably have an episode after that, just kind of maybe sharing some fun things that I learned, uh, and we'll go from there. So you guys take care. Happy goating.
Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the Mini Dairy Goat Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast for our new episodes. Share the podcast, tell all your goat friends about us, rate and review the podcast, and also you can hit us up on our Facebook page, Mini Dairy Goat Podcast, for more information and show notes. Thank you so much and happy goating.